continue that experience, and during spring sports, if I didn't have a chance to connect with you guys tonight, I'm so very glad you're here with us. We jumped into the tail end of a series that we're on called Endurance Brains Hope. And it really is about what we can do in these prime times to endure, to understand our life in Christ a little better, so that when the pressures of life happen, we don't have to worry, we don't have to wonder about how we're going to get through, we know we're going to make it. So today we're actually going to talk about a very specific subject matter called Lordship. Lordship. Turn your Bibles right and turn to uh, Luke chapter 8 and verse 12. And someone can read that letter. That would be great. But Luke chapter 8, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse 22, not verse 12. Verse 22. And so I think many of us, we, we as human people, we have a tendency that when we're confronted with big opportunities from God, we draw blank. We just kind of pause and I'm not sure if I want to do that. I think many of us come to this we come to sports in a row. God brings a great opportunity in front of us, but we're not exactly sure how or when we can take it, or how we can be motivated by what God's given us is showing us. So if you're about to go ahead and turn over there, Luke, and we're going to read a story about God who's given to us. So we're going to start with this. Now they sailed to the country of the Jerusalem. Oops, I'm all out of I'm all out of the place, so let's go back. There we go. And he said to them, this is, Jesus, uh, you all little things, but where's your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying, Lord, who is this that the actual command, the actual command, the wind from the waves, and they obey him? This is Jesus' disciples. He's just calling the storm. They're freaking out. Jesus is like, come on, guys, you know me. You should have more things in me. And they are in total amazement that he was able to calm the wind from the sea. And then we'll get into what they're actually doing. And so here we see when they sail to the countryside, uh, to, the, to the place of the Pharisees, uh, which was opposite of Galilee, and when they had come into the land, uh, he was met, so Jesus was met by a man from that city who was possessed with demons. And he went and put on any clothes, and this guy was running around buckling him. And he didn't put any clothes on for a long time. He wasn't running a house, the Bible says, there, but he was living amongst the tombs. And continues. Seeing Jesus, this naked, possessed man, cries out, and he fell before him, and he said with a loud voice, What business do we have with each other? And he gives Jesus that kind of look at Jesus. So the most high God, I don't you don't know, torment me. So this demon possessed naked man only stands who Jesus is, even more so than the disciples who had just watched him perform a miracle, and we'll get into that even in a moment. For Jesus had commanded the unseen spirit to come out of the man, and for it seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles, and was kept under constant guard, and yet he would break the chains, he would break the bond, and he would be driven out by the demon into the wilderness. Let's pause there just for a second. This passage in Luke is one of the few times that we actually reference where Jesus was asked by a group of people not to come back. People specifically look at Jesus and say, you need to get out of here. We're not sure we want you around, Jesus. This verse tells a lot about this idea of a man who's paralyzed in the village. I think that's where we can hold up. We can hold up with this naked dude who's possessed by the devil and he's paralyzed in the village. When he's a spiritual woman and he's thrown around and he can terrorize people, he actually would, they would bind him with chains and break from, uh, free from the chains and he would be pushed out of the wilderness just to terrorize more folks. And they didn't know what to do. They had no idea how to control this man, so they just tried to live 
Let's try to look at lives of the terrorizing spirit, the terrorizing man. Let's continue on in our scripture in verse 30. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He's looking at the devil, not the man. He says, what is your name? He said, Jesus, he's going to be a man. So we don't know how he would put his name So we don't know. And they poured and they asked, oh, I'm going all around here. Something messes my slide. And they, what are you doing? Oh, no. And they were imploring him not to command them to go into the abyss. So they know exactly what Jesus has come to do. They understand his authority. They understand his lordship. They're freaking out. They answer him back, who are you? We're not one demon. We're all kinds of devils. We've all possessed this God. And then in verse 32 it says, now there was a herd of swine and they seated there in the mountainside, and the demons implored Jesus to permit them to enter into the pigs and get them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered into the pigs. And when the herd, when they entered the pigs, the herd had rushed down the steep bank and into a lake, and they drowned themselves. Verse 34, and when the herdsmen saw what would happen, the those who were coming into the pigs, when they saw what had happened, they ran to report and city and also out in the countryside. The people went to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found a man who was actually possessed by a devil had gone out, and he was sitting there at the feet of Jesus, and he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And the Bible says that the people who saw this were afraid. Those who had seen the report to them, uh, they had shared the report to them uh, who the man was, and he was the demon-possessed man. They have been well aware of, and all the people of the countryside of the Pharisees and the surrounding districts asked Jesus to leave them. Oh, this is great fear. And God was going to let We're just going to let him hang out, and if you see him, don't mess with him. He's demon possessed. We're not sure what to do. And then Jesus comes on the scene and comes up on the boat in the Mississippi River, hits the shoreline. The moment he hits the shoreline, the devil's in that man. Whoa, what are you doing here, Jesus? It's not time yet, Jesus. Oh, God, you know who you are. It's not time yet. Come on, man. Don't mess with us. We're terrorizing this little town. We're having a good time, Jesus. We're just trying to have a little party, mess with some people. And in that moment, they ask him, don't send us to hell. We know we're going to hell eventually, God. But come on, don't send us to hell just yet. And the compromise that Jesus has for them is, all right, go. Go ahead, go into the church. Let's check on the story very quickly. See, there are many types of people in the world who will look at God and say, oh, God, deliver me from my God. Jesus, please deliver me from my issues. But most of the time, we'll step back a little and say, God, deliver us from our problems, but you know, it's in that box of questions. These people were terrorized by a demon possessed man. They were unable to cope with their problems. They were unable to deliver themselves from their problems. But they had to hold up with the Lord's purpose. We're going to discuss here in just a second why Jesus and how he expressed his Lordship in this situation. And why I believe in my theological brain can go to why they would ask Jesus to leave. After he's delivered them from their oppressive bondage, after he's delivered them from their tormented spirit, after he's delivered. 
delivered them from someone who is literally possessed and recognized it in their life. I believe it's an issue of lordship. Jesus came to deliver them, but Jesus never comes and arrives on the scene simply as a deliverer. He also comes as Lord every single time. He doesn't come just to adequately deliver us from our problems. What's a genie in a bottle? That, that, that's someone that we, we take the right lamp and we rub it and keep it. Jesus does a miracle. Let me sneak back in your phone. And you roll it up and go away for another thousand years. And we don't serve a God like that. We serve a God who's infinitely invested into our lives and every aspect of our life. And so when he shows up on the scene, he shows up with purpose, with plan, with passion. He shows up to get more done than we could ever imagine him doing in a moment's time. The Lordship of Jesus is the biggest fight I think we have internally in our lives. God, you can have this aspect of my life, but not that one. God, you, you can be Lord over here, but please don't look behind this curtain. God, I'll give you everything I can in prayer, but work can be my man. I think for many of us, we don't get the context of the Lordship. Let me help you with a little backstory here of what we're talking about. This area where this was here was a place where the land of the Pharisees, I think Pharisees carried all sorts of people. It was a village, it wasn't. It was just a bunch of people that hopefully remember the name. But in this place, it was a Jewish settlement. And they were in direct disobedience to God's plans. They were in direct disobedience to the plans of God. What was the plan? They were told never to keep pigs forever. You understand about your history or your flaws, they were told never to keep pigs as hurt animals. And there was no doubt that they rationalized their occupation and said, listen, God, the land that we're living in, the land of the Jerusalem, is totally barren. Nothing will grow, so we can't hurt goats. We don't have grass to feed them. So we got a little pig crop and maybe piece of corn and this and that, and then we're screwing the dirt. So, God, how about we raise pigs? I'm sure they're offset. The disobedience of the winking at God's wall that said, Listen, when we kill, when we kill a baby, we have little feasts of Canadian bacon, we'll give you 10% of whatever we make that. We'll give 10% to the church, we'll be good and faithful and tied to the temple, but we'll do all the other religious activities. But this one issue, Jesus, we won't give you ourselves. We're just going to disobey the law, we don't get to know. I don't believe you that that's why this devil's man was running around the village. I don't think God was tormenting them because they had kids. But Jesus deals with it. This, but this Bible doesn't put this story in here by accident. There are specific reasons why we hear and see the stories that are in the scriptures. So there's an unavoidable consequence when Jesus comes on the scene. So I'm sure people who need time to dissect the person of Jesus. We want to know this comes from our bad house. We'll take this version of Jesus, but not that version of Jesus. We hear things like this, and people say, well, good comments like this. God is God of love, hallelujah. God is a good God. He can say songs like that. He's a good, good father, right? And we love that song. It's still in the gooey on the inside. Yeah, he's a good father, and I love that. He's always saying back and forth, hallelujah. But then we forget that God is just. We forget that God is about integrity. We forget that God is about purpose and design and destiny. And that when He speaks something, it's not a suggestion. And He told these people, these Pharisees, in the law of God, not to keep 
pigs as herd animals, he knows it. What's the suggestion for them? What happens in the life of this man? What happens is that many people do what we, we all do, and I'm sure these folks do. They wrap up this idea of Jesus and this beautiful picture of love and mercy and grace and joy and peace. And they forgot that he's also about truth. And he's also about his word of integrity. And he's also also about his authority and lordship. I've no doubt in my mind that they were determined to live out God's rules and regulations. But Jesus came on the scene and he told us to deliver them from their oppression. And when he came, he couldn't leave that little stone unturned. He had to deal with the pigs. So many of us, when we think about the lordship of Jesus in our lives, we got some pigs like that. And we want God to deliver us. We want God to save us. We want God to rescue us. Nothing from the pigs. Then he spoke to have little baby demon pigs. The pigs didn't have to drown themselves. But they did anyway. Stupid devil, right? How do you drown yourself? Wouldn't you want to be all caught up next to a warm human and not having to drown in an ocean? But whatever. No accounting for intelligence in the mind of the devil. The story is very akin to a good doctor. If you go to a good doctor, I hate going to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. If you go to a good doctor, they'll check you over. I think the reason I'm not going to check over everything, right? They're looking for a problem. They'll check you everything to make sure you're healthy well. They'll check your medical history. They'll physically check you up. I don't like doctors so they can make it. You ever notice that? You go to the doctor, and what's the first thing I do? Take off all your clothes and put on this little sheet. Like, why am I putting on paper? I'm perfectly sure. This is an awkward conversation, doctor. Anyway. Last time I was at the doctor, I don't know. Last time I was at the doctor, I had to go because I had this. Off, it just persisted and wouldn't go away. And so we go into the, to the little jam room, and the doctor looks at me because I got a cough. I'm like, yeah, I got can't get rid of it. I'm coughing. Do we try to take a chance off? I'm like, what? I'm like, well, doctor. I don't know if I'm physical anatomy to know that we start. So this time I got to get a good, well rounded picture of your house. I said, well, buy me this first. I'm not sure I want to go there. But. A good doctor will leave no stone unturned when they're trying to find the problem and care for issues in your life. And in the same sense, Jesus comes in and enters the scene and he won't leave any stone unturned. He recognizes that ask for deliverance, they need a deliverer, they need someone to free them from this demonic oppression. He's not going to leave it alone, the issues that are on the side. He's not going to leave the little things of the little things alone on the side. But he's Lord over their whole existence. And he will make sure that they're delivered even from those things. Even from that little thing, that little thing that they wink at, he's going to make sure to overcome that sin as well. For many of us, the reason we don't have an endurance that brings hope is because we come down short. He comes into our lives and he comes to, to, to uh, deliver us. He comes to bring some reprieve in an issue. He comes as savior, as deliverer. He comes to make a change and a mess in our heart and our life. And then he notices something else besides the new fiction. And then when Jesus is in college, he hears the story of God. Now, what's the fiction of Jesus Christ? Excuse me for a second. That's not how you just do the hard work. 
and everybody dies. I said, what are the symptoms? So we get you got to you see from adult choices. Yeah. What's wrong with you? You're going to infect everybody. Anyway. Anyway, back to the, back to the thing. So Jesus is in a space where he's trying to lean out of the life, even the smallest issue that they've overlooked. And that's how words really work. So Jesus is to be Lord of our lives. He's to be Lord over everything. He has to be, he has to be first. He can't be last, he can't be secondary, he can't be something that we go to on the side. No, Jesus has to be and is determined to be first. The individuals in the story are possessed by this daughter, this man. They're tormented by Their lives literally revolve around this naked kid, come around and disrupt them time. Jesus steps on the scene. And the consequence wasn't just deliverance, the consequence was the loss of the pigs. They wanted Jesus to leave, and as soon as the pigs were going, what, what manner of man is this? Why would he kill our pigs? And you delivered the evil, you delivered the evil possessed man, but why would he kill the pigs? Come on. Jesus, Lord, we don't get why you go. Let me help you out. Jesus talks about it specifically in Matthew chapter 7 and verse. 14 and verse 14. There's so many people that come to Jesus with problems that they can't cope with. And they say, God, deliver me from my issues. We're waiting for deliverance, but not necessarily lordship. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says it this way. Enter through the narrow gate for the narrow, or for wide is the gate, I'm sorry. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus, in, in his, his discussion with his disciples, is trying to retrain their minds. He's trying to retrain the way they look at life. And he said, Listen, there's a way to do life that most people do. It's the big, it's the broad way to do life. But guess what? It doesn't mean anyone's good. But there's a narrow path. There's a path less traveled. But if you'll get on this bus, if you'll get on this path, I promise you, life will be better. I promise you. That life will be better than what you're experiencing. I promise you that if you let him be Lord of your life, that there is a, is a way that is narrow, that is short, that is small, that the chasm seems tight. But guess what? When we make it through, when we make it through on the other side, we find true and honest life in Christ Jesus. Multitudes gathered around Jesus to hear him speak. Remember when he's giving his sermon on the mountain and he's talking to the Beatitudes? People are all around him. There's thousands of people. Listen, as long as Jesus was speaking on a good topic and he's standing up to fish dinners, yeah. it's not as long as he's running up bread and fish for free. People were all around him. But the moment he said, Take up your cross and follow me, and a bunch of jokers just snuck off to the side and said, Oh, I'm not sure about that. I wonder, I wonder constantly about myself and I wonder about our culture. We have this historic picture of Jesus, and we know who he is. And we have the, the postscript of the resurrection that Jesus did rise again. We have the historical account of his life. I wonder if it would be so easy to convince us, to persuade us of his life and his lordship, had we not had the picture that's been laid out for 2,000 years. I wouldn't look at Jesus if it was the first time we've ever heard of him. But the moment that he steps up on the scene, he says, Listen, I'm the Lord of your life, and I'll prove it. I'll even deal with the smallest issues that hang around your head. 
I deal with the big things and I deliver you from the hardships and the struggles of life. But I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to deal with even the little things that you don't think I see. I wonder how many of us would be so inclined to bend our will to that man. How many of us would be so inclined to say, okay, Jesus, have your way. Have your way, Lord, whatever you want to do. How many of us would see Jesus as that good doctor that's looking at us going, huh? The same to all of the examples. You can show me your throat, but we're going, out, we're going elsewhere, buddy. How many of us would be confident enough that God Jesus has our best intentions in mind? In fact, Jesus gets incredibly direct when he talks about the concept of lordship. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 if you want to. Luke 16. See, Christianity in the New Testament is a very strange gospel. It's very, very specific. It's without a rule or a rail that's very narrow at times. These are the words of Jesus. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a prophet man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? Or what will a man gain in exchange for his soul? These words of Jesus, man, the big and strong. This is not Jesus saying you can't have enough stuff. This is Jesus saying that if the stuff of this life owns you, what's the point? This is Jesus telling us that in order for us to gain a new level of understanding, in order for us to have an endurance that brings hope, we have to come to a place where we give it all totally over Him. If you haven't figured it out, the title of this message series might have been a little bit, well, might have been a little bit. And some of you are probably saying, you know, preach on Paul's message. When you're done. When you're dirty, hallelujah. When you get there, when you get golden, and now he's preaching, give it all to Jesus. Now, let me help you out. If we're going to have real endurance, if we're going to work through life and life difficulty, if we're going to overcome plagues, if we're going to overcome social unrest, if we're going to overcome social issues that we can't figure out how to manage, we have to be all in with Jesus. We have to be so all in that our lives are nothing in comparison to what God's called us to. How many of us come to that on the day? Or is it Jesus, you're it, you're everything. God, this social media post I'm about to post, if you don't want me to post it, just pick up now, because I'm just saying, I'll have it. Anyone do that about 15 times a day, I'm not doing it. Yeah. How many of us are getting into stupid arguments that do nothing? For the sake of the gospel, somebody. How many of us at times are not giving our whole at all because what the world tells us, the place we're in, we don't understand that if we give everything, we've got to hold on to it. We've got to hold on to something a little tight. We've got to hold on to something so fixed because if we don't, what control do we really have? In the context of scripture, our lives are like water in our hands. How many of you have tried, tried to just squeeze tight on a pool of water in, in the pond? What happens? Well, it runs out so quickly. Every single drop is gone in a moment. But if you take the same pool of water and pump our hands like an offering, we have a little bit of control, but it becomes a different thing. This is one thing, and this is something else. When we offer our lives to Christ, it's not that we're not in some sense of control. It's that we offer ourselves as an offering that the Bible says, a sweet, savory perfume. That we are, we are the top that we lift up to 
to that have health of everything. But in Luke chapter 16, Jesus takes it to a whole other level. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not take his own father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, and yes, even his own wife, he cannot be my disciple. Then Jesus moves so far into the Lordship aspect here that it's almost hard to read. He uses the word here that's strong in the Greek to hate, and guess what? It's if any of you hate, does hate, or does not despise his own father, mother, wife, children, man, some of you look at your family and go, Jesus, I'm like, four of those stepped off already. I mean, my mother, I mean, my father, I mean, my kids today, oh God, Lord Jesus, yes. We hate it. It's cool. Don't lie, there are times you don't like your kids. I know you're not supposed to say that, but there's times that the parent, you just like, I hate that word, please. And then you have to listen. But what Jesus was getting was that we don't hold to anything. Nothing in our life has value above Him. Nothing in our life has value above Jesus. So He says, You can't be one of my disciples. You can't come to me and say, You work for me, you serve me, you follow me, until you get to this place where you're willing to cut it out. God has your way. God has your way. I'm all in Jesus, have your way. So these family members are great, and I know I'm born into a wonderful, good, and bonded family, but they're going to hold me down. I'm not going to put anything above you. I love my kids. I'm passionate about them. I want to see them develop into the young men who call them to, but I will not put them above you. I'm using my own life. How many of us today? We see Christians, folks that say they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they wouldn't go across the street to speak to a neighbor about Jesus for two occasions. Their voice is small and diminished because of viruses out there. They're muzzled by the mask on their face. They think it's not the right time, and you know, there's too much social unrest, and they're the boat. So, whatever. We're going to do it just Jesus doesn't give us that option. And I'm not telling you to go crazy and, you know, stand on the soapbox in the middle of your neighborhood telling everyone to go and follow the trend. I'm not doing so. I'm not telling you that in order to get right with God, you've got to pay your own life to such the extent that give away all your finances. I'm not taking up another option. I'm not saying Jesus wants to do it. I'm not saying that God's calling you to serve. It's not known for the best in history every single Sunday for the next six months unless Jesus is calling you to. I'm not telling you that you are supposed to read the Bible, get your dirty little fingers, keeping fingers around that Bible and read 14 chapters a day. I'm not telling you that unless Jesus is calling you to study the Bible. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. I'll read your word when it's convenient. I'm going to give it a roll and just all in Jesus in about four months and I'll be like, well, this is good work. Let's figure out what else we can do. How all in are you? With every aspect of your life, how all in are you? With every moment of your being, how all in are you? Is there a little big drop inside you want to keep close? Some demon possessed little monster you want to keep close? Because God forbid you let go of something that's comfortable. Something that's been around, even though it was breaking that wrong. How many little things do we keep around? Because we're anxious. 
anticipating the day when God's going to show us away from the day. I think some of us go out and feel like we're so when we get this idea that we can raise a magic wand, or we can do something spectacular, or we can just push God a little bit in one area or another, and He doesn't see our actions. He doesn't see what we tell to the side. So what I want to encourage you, the always, with everything you have, do it Today's the day God, you've got everything and there's nothing left of it. Today's the day where we can put, we can put all the signs of Jesus. I want more of you, I want all of you, I want every bit of you. If there's anything in my life that can fill a pig that old muscle inside, but you can have them. Drown in the water, Jesus, I don't need them anymore. God, I know you've come to deliver me, you've come to save me. God, you've come to do a miracle in my life. Then you have so unkind, Jesus. From every aspect of who I am, and even the broken nature of my heart, and God made it put back together. Today, Jesus has everything. If we're going to have a hope and for an endurance that brings hope, if we're going to have a hope for a better day, if we're going to have hope for a brighter future, it's only in knowing that Jesus Christ 